Every, every Christmas time I get led differently to preach on different subjects. Um, this year, for some reason, it's around the birth of Christ Mary, and, and I'm, I'm not like that. I just, uh, I'm not a very good special day preacher. You may say I'm not a very good preacher at all, but I'm, I'm not a very good special day preacher. But uh, I just don't do well at being pushed in a box and told i got to preach on this subject because a certain day I just don't do well. I go to God and say, what do you want me to preach? You know, I'm preaching on some other subject. Totally, I'll just go ahead and do it. People come by and say, Bo, I thought we were going to hear about Mary. I say, you will in June. Because that's when God will have me preach it. In June, sometime when you're in Orange Forks, back north. History tells us in the early 19th century, that's the 1800s, the whole world was watching with bated breath at the campaigns of a man named Napoleon. There was talk everywhere, you can imagine. Marches, invasions, battles, bloodshed. As this French dictator pushed his way through Europe. Babies were born during that same time. But who had time to think about babies or even care about cradles or nurseries uh, when the international scene was in such a tumultuous state as it was with Napoleon? Nevertheless, that between Trafalgar and Waterloo, there stole into the world the veritable hosts, a host of heroes that were to eventually change the world. Let's just take the year 1809. In 1809, everybody was looking, in Europe area, was looking at Austria. Austria was where it was at, because that's where the blood was flowing, that's where campaign after campaign that year, Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. Nobody cared much about who was born in 1809 while this massive war was going on with Napoleon. But if you check your records, there were some big things happening in 1809 that people did not take note of or were aware of. The birth of William Gladstone was 1809. That was turning, turned into being one of the greatest statesmen ever produced in England. Alfred Tennyson was born in 1809 to an obscure minister and his wife. Tennyson, of course, changed the literary world. Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, for you Yankees, Massachusetts, in 1809. Not far away in Boston was born Edgar Allan Poe. Though his life was eventful, eventually tragic and short, 1809 was a big year for babies, but nobody cared much about babies. Nobody paid much attention in 1809 when there was a war in Europe and Napoleon was marching through. That was where the news was. That was where all the things that mattered were happening, man. Or was it? Or was it? That same year, a physician named Darwin named his child Charles Robert that year. Charles Robert Darwin. In the rugged log cabin, if the Gooseys were here, God bless them, they'd probably know right where this was at. In Hardin County, Kentucky, was a man. Glory to God. Amen. 
Break out the moonshine. Hardin County, Kentucky was born a man named Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Now, if there had been CNN, Clinton News Network, or MCN, whatever it is, and uh, CBS, ABC, all those major news media, the mega news media, uh, going on during that time, they would have said the destiny of the world was being shaped in the Austrian battlefield. But was it? You know, today, in this room, only a handful, maybe history buffs, and I would even guess not even that many, would know much about Napoleon and his battles and could name the battles that went on in Austria that year. But the movers and shakers of the world were being cradled by a mother in an obscure place that nobody cared about or would, would made any news that year. But those people that were born in 1809, many of those folks shook the world. Is that the same true with Jesus? The Roman Empire had stretched her tentacles over the known world. They were the ultimate power. Nobody questioned the Roman Empire when Jesus was born. Nobody cared about some kid born in a little village. And by the way, even today, Bethlehem's still a little village. A little village five miles or so uh, from Jerusalem. Nobody much, nobody much cared about who was born in Bethlehem. And more than all that, Poor, born poor, born in a stable, born in a place of obscurity. In every way, God could have made his son obscure, he did. I mean, Jesus was born to a poor carpenter and uh, a young girl who had some story of an angel coming to her. Nobody believed but her and her husband and, and Elizabeth and a few, a few others. But most of the people in the town did not believe it. And I told last week about, you know, the talk of the town, how people looked at her. And God, it had to happen. The Roman Empire was everything. It was the news. Or would it be a little child, a little Jewish infant in Bethlehem that would eventually change history? Yeah. It was. It was. Jesus' birth literally changed history. It changed the way we, we set our year calendars. It, it, it made December uh, not a solstice change or whatever solstice chain. It made it the birth of Jesus Christ. Christ came in and conquered December 25th. I'm not sure when Jesus was born. It didn't make any difference to me. He just, we knew he was born, and we knew it had to be a day of 365 days, and December 25th is good with me. How about you? They said, well, that was a heathen hog. That make any difference. Jesus came in and took it over. Nobody remembers that old junk anymore, but they remember Jesus had been born. The 25th of December, at least that's the time we recognize that Christ came into the world. Jesus did big things. Take your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. 
Matthew chapter 1, we can't, I can't get away, uh, I can't get away from Matthew chapter 1, I'm not going to try. Verse 21, and, she, and it says, and she shall, angels speaking and to Joseph here, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Well, that's good to tell Joseph, because Joseph's the one that makes the name happen. I wish it would be that way again. I wish men had total control of the baby's names. Bunch of sissies. Man, back here, the men named the kid the the men named the kids. Hey man. My dad named me. My mama named me Ruth. And I thank God my dad took over. She said, I don't want a boy. Here I came. Back then, no ultrasound, you're not going. Surprise! Two days before Christmas. Back then, a woman stayed in the hospital for two weeks minimal and wasn't supposed to get out of bed. And two days, the 24th, she got out of bed, grabbed me, and went on an ice, icy night, was taken back home because she had two boys, two mean boys at home. Enough of that. What are children? What's it make whether you have children? Well, Jesus sent his son humbly as a child to a group of people that were nobodies and were not in the news and were not history. And somehow I just gotta believe that's happening again today. Somehow I believe our God works in ways that aren't on CNN and they're not on MSNBC and they're not on ABC. I think God works in ways Works and wonders is is works and ways his wonders to perform. Jesus, his name will be, for he shall save his people from their sins. I I hope your name is there. I hope you're this morning part of his people. Now look, we're all odd. We're all odd. We're odd in some way or another. We're odd. We are. We're all odd. If you came around me and stuck around me much, you'd say, Bill, you have some odd this and some odd that. And I'd say, well, it's same to you. <laughs> We're all odd. I hope you can put his name in. His, I'm part of his people. I'm his people. Not because you were born in America. Not because you were born in a place of, that, that was supposedly Christian but because you have come to Jesus face-to-face, head-to-head, and admitted and understood who he was, and said, Jesus, you indeed are Lord, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be part of his people. Because his people are going to be saved. Because he came to save his people from their sins. He didn't come to save folks that reject him and folks that deny him and folks that say he was a liar or he was the son of a Roman soldier or any of the other other blasphemies against him. For those who understood who he was and who he is and who he will be, if I may say, and will accept that by simple childlike faith, not by some sort of good work, but by simple childlike faith, willing to turn from your sins called repentance. Repentance is more of an attitude than anything. Repentance is an attitude. Being willing to turn from your sins. I don't think anybody can get saved if they come to Jesus 
and do some little 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 little, little ditty, little dance, you know, little prayer, knowing that tomorrow they're going to go out and just go back in where they were before. Until you come to a place of repentance, you can't be saved. What is the Bible says in Corinthians, repentance is having a sorrow for sin. I believe the Holy Spirit gives you that. You're sorry that you sinned against God and everybody around you. But mostly God. And you repent. You say, it's true. And I believe Jesus who is who He said He was. And I want Him as my Savior. You become His people. And you know what He'll do? He'll save you from your sins. And boy, that's really good. That's really good news. Why? Because you've got a whole book of sins, brother. Hey, nobody in this room don't have about this many sins. If you live, by you live in 66, the book gets, they do an addendum on the thing. Jesus, I'm going to use an acrostic, and I don't preach this way often, but I'm going to now. An acrostic, an acrostic. What is that? That's J-E-S-U-S. I'm going to say something for each one of the words of the name Jesus. Oh, there's something about that name, isn't there? There's something about that name. Jesus, first of all, what does he do for us? How does he save us from our sins? Well, first of all, Jay, I believe in, in my, my acrostic here, it stands that he justifies us. First and foremost, maybe of anything Jesus does for me, the Bible says that when I trust him by faith, he justifies me. Romans chapter 3, verse 24, 26 says, being justified freely by his grace. That cuts out all the works. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, it means he bought the redemption and he offers it as a free gift. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. In other words, he will take away all of your sins if you'll believe in him. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins in the past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. That he might be just. This is a fabulous. He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Jesus Christ is just without sin, and he took our sin on the cross, and he, and he was by that purchase that he made of his blood, he now has the ability, if you'll trust in him by faith, to declare you not guilty. Wow! I think, oh, that, you know, they're trying to cook this guy called Flynn. I always get a kick when, when old, uh, old uh, uh, what is his name, our president, Donald Trump, he, he gets up there and he says, well, they, if they prosecute Flynn, I'm just going to pardon him. You know, the devil comes and says, Bill Whitetail is guilty of this and guilty of that and guilty of this and thought this and saw this and did this. And God says, he trusts in me. I'm going to justify him. I'm going to propitiate his sin. I'm going to take his sin away. But bigger than just take it away, he's going to give me his righteousness. That's how in the world, that's how these things, the Bible says someday we're going to be presented as believers in Christ, as his people. We're going to be presented unblameable in his sight. Now, you know that cannot be possible, except he gives me his righteousness. Because the father then looking at Christ's righteousness in me, he can say, uh, he's unblameable. Yes, Jesus and what he gives me is unblameable. Jesus and what he gives me is unreprovable. And my sin then fell upon him. Jesus will justify you if you'll come to him. I love it. In Romans 5, 8, and 9, it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Woo! Much more than, much more than. 
being now justified, justified by his blood, we shall be saved from what? From wrath. There are only two groups of people in the world. Those who take their sin upon, those who will pay for their own sin and stand before Jesus and give an answer for it, and then all the wrath that sin is due will come upon them. That's the only outcome it could be. Or those who have trusted Christ as their personal Savior and ask Him to be their substitute. And the Bible says they'll be saved. That means saved from the wrath that goes along with those sins. And boy, I want to be that. That's me. In Acts chapter 13, 39, it says, And by Him all things, all that believe are justified from all things. There's a group of people out there that want to kind of make the, uh, the salvation of Christ partial. It's not partial. It's all, brother. I can't understand it myself, put my, uh, my mind around it, or completely fathom it. But I can tell you that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Jesus, J, he justifies. He justifies. I like the song, gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Buried in the deepest sea, and in my heart's a song. Jeff, come on up here. Let's sing. Oh. God put your penalty on Christ and gave you his righteousness. It doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better. You say, things are going bad for me, and I'm, but are you a born-again Christian today? They may be going bad on this side, but they ain't going bad on that side. And you almost can take anything that you know there's an end to it. Right? You know there's an end. But you don't know there's an end to something. How could you take it? But there's an end to it, no matter how bad you may be in right now. Second thing, J, for he justifies. E, he emancipates. Emancipates. There was uh, many years ago, it's been said, the Prince of Wales visited the capital city of India. When he came, a normal dignitary, they put up formidable barriers because they didn't want the poor folks uh, we're called the outcasts, uh, their class, and didn't want them to get close to Prince of Wales. Well, he, you know, he made his normal handshakes with the dignitaries of India and everything. And when he got done with that, he said, I want those barriers taken down, those people allowed to come here. And of course, reluctantly a little bit, but they went and did what he said because he was their guest. He's the Prince of Wales. He went over there and he took the barriers down. The people, the common person, the lowest class of India got to have uh, close proximity with the Prince of Wales. Eventually, he went back to that same district. When he went back to that same district, there was a group that gathered for him, almost 10,000 of those of that low class, and a banner in front of, front, over the top of them said, Prince of the Outcasts. That's Jesus. He's not Prince of the Noble. He's not Prince of the Mighty. He's not prince of the superman. He's prince of the outcasts. He didn't choose many noble, not many mighty. No, he chose the base things of this world to bring to naught the things that are. Things which are not. You know that from his birth, don't you? How Jesus was brought into this whole world. Jesus justifies. Jesus emancipates. He calls, people that emancipate are normally heroes. In whatever society they're in. Jesus said in John 8, 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I think that's the key verse of are you, 8, 36. I think of Martin Luther King. I didn't agree with everything he did, but he, he, his, his, his goal was to emancipate people. And they made him a hero and given him a holiday. Moses, 
His goal was to emancipate. He emancipated the children of Israel from slavery of Egypt. He's become a hero. Abraham Lincoln declared Emancipation Proclamation and emancipated the uh, slaves of, of the South, and, and he became a hero. How much more our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a hero because he emancipates the sinner bound by sin, destined for a devil's hell. Woo! He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new set of values. He gives you a new city, and He gives you a new country. He gives you a new book. He gives you a lot of new stuff. Wow, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus justifies. He emancipates. G-J-E, is that right? I got this. If I misspell Jesus, I need to be taking out that door right there. But, but be tender. I went in the back after I prayed at the beginning. I went into the back into Brother Moon Sunday School class, and I saw some old-fashioned cream custard covered with caramel. I'm going to have to admit something right now. I lusted on that. I didn't eat it, but I wanted to. Jesus is a justifier. He's your emancipator, and he is a substitute. I thank God I don't have to answer for my sin. How about you? There has been said a story in the Civil War. United States, a farmer named Blake was drafted as a soldier. He was deeply concerned, though he wanted to be a soldier and be patriotic, he was deeply concerned because his wife had just died and he, he had care of the children on the farm. And you know, can imagine having being a man, having to take care of children. We don't mind making them, but we don't want to take care of them. I, don't be offended by that, please. Most of these men are much better than I am. But... Uh, he was uh, worried about that, but he had to go. He, he was drafted. There was a man showed up, one of his neighbors. His name was Charlie Durham. Charlie Durham showed up to visit him. He said, Blake, I've been thinking about this. I heard that you've been drafted and go, and I, I want to take your place. Well, back then, evidently, you could take somebody's place as a bona fide replacement for that man, and he would not have to go. This Durham did not have to go, was not drafted, a young man, he took this Blake's place. And Blake, of course, I mean, out of gratitude, shook the guy's hand and, you know, hugged him and was said, man, this is just, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I got these children on the farm. I'll be able to stay and take care of them. Well, this Durham went to the, he, he enlisted. He took this man's place. He fulfilled his draft. He went to the first battle. And, and regrettably, in the first battle, uh, he was engaged and he was shot and killed. Uh, Blake heard about it. Sadly's horse, found out where the battle was, searched the battlefield and found the man's body. Put it on the horse, rode back, and buried him in a cemetery uh, by the church. Because back then, old churches had cemeteries. I like that. And uh, found a little place uh, in that cemetery and buried the man in a place uh, where they had often talked together at that church. And... In, in a crude way, in his, own, in his own hand, he took a chisel, and on that uh, stone that he was able to put on this man's grave, he, he chiseled in these, these words. He died 
for me. The neighbors knew what happened. The town eventually knew what happened. Many, it is said that many would come to that stone and just stand there and look at that. Some have been said they were weeping or crying that there would be emotional. Knowing that this young man who didn't have to die gave himself for this other man. Now we consider that noble. We consider that tremendous, and it is. How much more when God, its own son, came here on this old filthy earth, went to battle for us, took our place, and fought the old forces of darkness, allowed them to scourge him, mock him, crucify him, smack him, spit on him, every indecent thing you can imagine somebody doing to another person they did to Jesus. Eventually took him to, it wasn't enough just to do all that, they took him to a place in, right by a busy highway, and they stripped him back then in a day of real modesty and stripped him of all his clothes. Put him on a cross, nailed him while alive. Stretching his arms, possibly pulling him out of joint. The Bible says every joint was, he was out of joint in every joint, so yes, he stretched him. They plucked his beard out. I don't even know what that'd be like. Unbelievable. They put him up, dropped him in the hole. That must have been unbelievable when that thing hit the bottom of the hole. And he hung there six hours. Why? Because he loves you. You say, God don't love me. He loves you. God hasn't shown he loves you. He's shown he loves you. What more does God have to do to show you he loves you than to he died for you? He died for you. Christ justifies. He emancipates. He substitutes. And fourthly, that's the U-J-E-S-U. He understands. I love to be saved. It's wonderful to be saved. It's wonderful to walk with God. Man, to know that somebody understands. You know, I am strange. More than you'll ever know. I mean, I'm just strange. But there's a group of us, and we all look at each other and say, we're normal and you're strange. You know, all the strange people get together, and they say, well, we're actually what's normal. You people are the ones strange. So you got all these strange people pointing at each other saying, no, you're strange. No, I'm strange. No, you're strange. No, what? I thank God I know somebody understands me. Somebody understands me. My wife does not understand me, even after 47 years. And she cannot because she cannot get inside. And I can't, trust me, I cannot understand her. I don't even want to go into the stories of why that is so. You want me to, but I'm not going to go because I, this is Christmas Eve and I want it to be a nice day. But I know that when I get sick or when I get fearful or when I have anxiety problems or I have fear or any kind of anger, God knows me. He knows what I'm going through. I can go to him and he can help me. I can cry out to him, Abba, Father. That's what the Bible says the Holy Spirit will do for you. He'll let you be able to cry, Abba, Father, 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 Father. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, 
but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I know the Bible says it's so, and I know from experience that God knows the, the junk that's going on the in, inside of me that only He knows, and He understands my walk through this life. And He comforts you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, He's the God of all comfort. He understands you. You got pain? That no, you try to tell your husband your pain? He, he goes out there and giggle. He had no clue. I'm not going to giggle. But he's going to sit there and go, look at you with that look like. Brother, you can't share pain. You can't share it. It is an individual thing. But I can go to Jesus Christ and I can say, Father, I'm in pain. Help me. He understands. Jesus understands. Wow. He walks with you and talks with you. Tells me I'm his own. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Ooh. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I think I want to say a camarade sentence here. Get all the way in. Brother Camrad's devotion this morning was about as good as I heard. I think we had to delay him three weeks, and I think it's a half, we have to let him cook on whatever he's going to say for three weeks, man. He talked about getting all the way in. Man, I liked that. I could have got up and run around the room a couple of times. I wasn't so out of shape. Man. Whew. Take my yoke upon you. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus said, you want what I got? You gotta come, you gotta get all you gotta get in. You gotta get in, get in all the way, man. And when you do that, you'll learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your soul. And brother, there's no amount of alcohol, there's no amount of cocaine, there's no amount of sex, there's no amount of material possessions, there's no amount of position or power that can give rest to your soul. Those things take rest away from your soul. And so my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Compared to the yoke of sin, Jesus, the, and burden, there's a burden with Jesus. There's a burden. You have a lost world around you, and he says, go to the world and preach your gospel. That's a burden. My wife and I went out shopping yesterday. We were out passing tracks out. It was, there's a certain burden and responsibility that comes with knowing Christ to share him with the rest of the world. But brother, compared to the burden of alcoholism and drug abuse and, and, and betrayals and the things of the world and the bitternesses of spirit that they get and the hatred that they get and the fear they get and the, and the anxieties that come upon him, the burden of Christ is easy. It's light. That bus ministry is not a burden. That's light. I went to Lowe's the other day, one of my favorite stores. And uh, there was a girl checking us out, and I proceeded, Doc, to give her a gospel track. I got them in my back pocket right now because I want to outgive Brother Moon. Competition's good. I gave her a gospel track. And she looked at that. She says, oh, thank you. Thank you. You're the church they used to come by with a bus and pick me up for 
Sunday school. I think his name was Tom Gillespie. Dr. Tom Gillespie, he used to take care of me. He took me to Sunday school for years, and he took care of my dog, too. It's a two-in-one. You build your business, and you do God's work. It's a beautiful thing. And that girl, I don't know, Kathy, she was probably 20-something, 20 in her 20s. And I, thought, I, I walked out of that thing. I said, the bus ministry is good. Bus ministry is good. I've heard that my whole life. I've had people come up here at 40 years old and say, man, I used to be a kid in the bus ministry. Thank you for caring about me and stopping by. Christ understands. And lastly, S, J-E-S-U-S, he satisfies. He satisfies. The Bible says he satisfies the longing soul. The Bible says 2 Corinthians 3, 5, but our sufficiency is of God. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, my grace is, Jesus tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, most gladly will I therefore glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's one of the deepest verses of all the scripture. I'll glory in my troubles. Now, how many times, when have I heard somebody come to me and say, I am so glad I got trouble? Now, I haven't heard anybody say that. But he says, I'll glory. Paul got to the maturity level that he could, he got it to the point where he could say, I am glorying in the trouble that's come my way because when, I'm, when I have trouble, I trust in Christ and his power comes and rests on me. Ooh, I like that. You got trouble in your life? It's so Christ's power can come rest on you. Now, if you react, you get bitter, you get angry, you get, you're going to miss the power of God. Don't do it. Trust him. Jesus justifies, he emancipates, he substitutes, he understands, and he satisfies. That insignificant birth of that little baby in a little know-nothing no town of Bethlehem in a stable somewhere. Well, there were the Roman Empire was where it was at. The Roman Empire, what was going on with Herod the Great, that's what the news was about. Little did they know in that little stable, a child was born who would, who would be the Savior of the world if they'd believe. His name shall be Jesus, for he shall save their, his people from their sins. I hope you're part of that group. Let me tell you, don't be if and but about it. Don't, don't while well, I think I'm saved, I might be saved. Don't, don't, don't come tell people. It's not going to go anywhere with God when you say, well, I was a Baptist, or I was a Catholic, or I was a Lutheran, or a Presbyterian. I ain't going to go very far with God. Uh, it's only going to be you have personally, honestly, as, in the level of honesty that only you, can, you get just to the very base level of honesty and say, God, I'm a sinner unable to save myself. And I ask you to save me. Be my personal Savior. Now that means you're going to change. Because His life's going to replace your life. And your old ways and your old thoughts, your old values are going to move over. They're going to, they're going to give way. If you really get born again, He comes in and, and changes you. Now there's a different pace to everybody, a different set of time maybe, but it's got to happen. The Bible says Christ in us, the hope of glory. Why don't you make it today? Father, help us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the birth. Thank you for this time of year. There could be some folks in our room, in this room today. Maybe they'll go to church, but they came today. 
Maybe they'd say, it's time. Before I miss it all, I'm going to give my life. How, how's, how's this life working for you? How's this life without Christ working for you? Why don't you come on? Why don't you, as Brother Cameron said, come in all the way. All the way in. Abandon this world. Abandon its philosophy. Abandon its tinsel. The stuff that you cannot even keep. And open your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And say yes to Him. Trust Christ your Savior. Get baptized. Join the church. If you live somewhere else, find a Bible-believing fundamental church. Join it. Maybe get baptized there. Be part of the local church. God's way of reaching the world is a local church. And jump in all the way. In his name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239 947-1285. Thank you and God bless.